Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And welcome to Afraid Not, episode number 56. Today, we're going to talk to Jackie King. She and her husband, Josh, have three boys, and she's going to share with us about the process they went through in adopting their youngest son, Amos, and what that looked like and the joy that that eventually brought to them, but also the loss that they had to deal with through the process of that. I love hearing her authentic story of how she wrestled with the Lord and how she came on the other side of it, just seeing such a faithfulness in Him and how the moments of pain, she sees now how God was just sanctifying her through it and pursuing her every minute of it. And it's just a beautiful story. So everybody enjoy this story with Jackie King. Hi, Jackie. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, I am so excited to be here and to chat with you ladies. Thank you so much for having me on today. We're so grateful that you're here and we are just, we know you're a very busy wife and mom and podcaster and lots of things going in your home and your family and church. So thanks for taking some time with us today. And would you start our interview today with telling our listeners a little bit about you and introduce yourself to everybody? Sure. Um, goodness. You know, you always kind of wonder, like, what is interesting about me to even share? <laughs> um, and especially with me, I feel like it is so just random. So um, I'm just going to throw out a bunch of things and then we'll kind of see maybe if that connects with anybody. Um, but I am a native Texan. So I was born and raised in the Dallas area. And um, a little over two years ago, we moved to Arkansas. And so I am now an official Arkansan. And it has taken me a while even to learn how to say Arkansan because I would completely butcher it at least the first couple times I would try to say it. Um, so we are in the beautiful state here. I am married to the wonderful Josh King, who he serves as lead pastor at Second Baptist Church here in Conway. And then we have three boys. One is about to celebrate his 12th birthday. And then we have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. Um, so that's kind of our family unit and where we're at, where we live. Um, as for what I do, that's a bunch of different random things too. Um, I serve as our minister to women at the church. And so I have um, so much joy getting to walk alongside our women um, and just point them to Jesus and then teach me about Jesus. And uh, we dig into the word together. We laugh a lot together. And so that is really fun. Um, I'm a seminary student. And so I am hopeful to graduate this coming May. So I am pretty pumped about that. <laughs> um, getting done with my master's degree um, and taking a little break at least. And then we'll see if there's any more to add to that. Um and then, like you said, I host a podcast called uh, At the Table for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. So all of that really kind of culminates into I just have a heart for women. I have a heart for the church and for Jesus and just watching people like walk freely and just what that looks like um, in their own individual stories. So that kind of plays out just in a lot of different ways, whether it's podcasting and sharing stories, or if it's in the classroom and learning theology, or if it's um, having a drive through Christmas pop-up party, which is what we are about to do for our women's ministry. I mean, I'm telling you, like life is just really all over the place, but I kind of like it. It's kind of fun. It keeps me on my toes. <laughs> I'm yeah, you sound really busy. 
<laughs> it depends on the week. There's definitely some weeks where I'm like, oh my goodness, there's too many dots on the calendar. So <laughs> what is a drive-through Christmas pop-up party? That sounds yeah. really fun. What do you do? Yeah. Okay. So this was like just a random idea because of course, just like many churches and women's ministries, we've had to cancel a lot of our events. And, um, and so a lot of our women just like across the planet, like just struggling with being lonely and, you know, isolated, we haven't seen each other. Um, and then as COVID cases rise, obviously that's a thing to where people are just hunkering down a little bit more. And so, um, I was just sitting at my desk one day and I'm like, okay, how can I see their faces? Like, I just want to see their faces and say hi and share a smile. And so we came up with this idea of the drive through Christmas pop-up party. And so we are going to hand out hot cocoa. And then I ordered a bunch of those cake pops. Have you had some of those? Like it, yes. have them, you know, we were going to do cocoa bombs. Have you heard about these things? They're new. No, I haven't heard about that. Oh my goodness, y'all. And especially if you're listening, you need to Google them. You can make them on your own if you're good at that kind of thing, but I'm not. Um, but it's called a cocoa bomb and you put it in your coffee cup and then you put warm milk over it. And then it all just kind of disintegrates out into a bomb. It's kind of like a bath bomb, but it's cocoa bomb. And know, like a hot chocolate. A cup of hot chocolate. Yeah. So originally it was going to be the drive through cocoa bombing, but not enough people knew, <laughs> like you guys, what a cocoa bomb was. And so I thought, you know what, that may not translate very well. Um, so we are doing um, cake pops for the pop-up part. Um, and then we ordered little ornaments that we're going to um, pass out that say second women on them and um, a little slogan that we're kind of saying for 2021. So I'm so excited about it. I'm going to wear a Santa hat and put on really loud Christmas music. And um, me and my volunteers are just going to have a blast. I'm pretty pumped. <laughs> I love it. Like fun. Great. Yeah. Fun. Did you grow up in the church? Did you grow up in a Christian family? Yeah. Um, so we definitely were kind of in and out of the church. So both of my parents loved Jesus. Um, we were in church if we were not on the softball field. So growing up, softball was a big part of my life. Um, and then I think as I got into teenage years, like a lot of parents, they're like, you know, she needs to be in church and not getting in trouble, like with friends and stuff. And so we kind of became a little bit more regular um, instead of kind of nominal, I guess, and actually attending. We were there Wednesday nights, Sunday nights. That's really where I kind of started stepping into some leadership roles within our youth group. Um, it was a pretty small church and small youth group. And so it was a really sweet way just to have some other people intentionally kind of see me, see my giftings, pour into me. And then for me to kind of grow a little bit as a young teenage leader, whatever that kind of looks like. <laughs> yeah. And tell us the story of how you came to faith in Christ and that journey for you. Where did it start? Yeah. So we had this wonderful thing called GAs. I don't know. Um, if oh, yes. Uh, yes. I was Girl in action. I, I was in you if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're just old friends, you know, like once you kind of bring up those memories and all of that. And so um, I did GAs on Sunday afternoons, and there were these two women that led it, Miss Dot and Miss Vicky. 
And um, Miss Dot was really close with our family. They were almost kind of second grandparents to me and my little sister. And so we would go every every Sunday to GAs. And then um, Mrs. Blair also was actually um, one of the adult leaders. She took us to GA camp one summer. And so I was probably eight or nine. And that was my first time away from home and doing a camp, that kind of thing. And um, I remember there, like in Denton, Texas, I'm sitting in one of the church services. And as I look back as an adult, I think that was kind of one of the first times where it felt like the message was kind of catered to my age, you know, like as a kid. And I remember the um, camp pastor sitting up there and talking about the gospel. And then he had all the GA leaders go up to the front. And he said, you know, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, you need to do that. And I remember sitting there and looking at Mrs. Blair and thinking, I know she loves me. I know Mrs. Dot loves me. And this guy is telling me Jesus loves me, you know, and that I need to give my life to him, that I need to surrender. And so even as like an eight and nine-year-old, just trying to figure out like, what does that look like? I just remember becoming so overwhelmed with the idea of Jesus loving me like these women that he had surrounded me with loved me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I remember just looking at Miss Blair and she looked at me and we kind of made eye contacts and like, I just knew like, it's that feeling in your chest. Like I've got to go to the front. There's no way I can't not make this decision, you know, and live for Jesus. And if he loves me this much. And so I remember walking down and by the time I got to her, I was crying, you know, (laughs) it was all kinds of emotional and she gave me this great big hug and we prayed and talked a little bit just about what that decision was. And then um, later that week, my pastor ended up coming to the house and we kind of chatted a little bit more. And so um, I think it's, especially now as an adult, and even as I serve as a pastor's wife and as a minister, um, I just have such a love for the local church, because I think that's how God uses people to love people. Um, and just that feeling and that experience that you really can't find anywhere else, I believe. And so um, that kind of started just my faith journey. And to be honest, I wasn't like discipled, you know, like we went to church still and I did Sunday school and kind of learned just different elements of the faith, but actually learning how to read my Bible or how to Um, learn doctrines, you know, and kind of deeper theology, that didn't really happen um, until like my later high school years. And then definitely once I ended up going to Criswell for Bible school. Um, So I think that discipleship element was kind of lacking a bit, but that's also pretty common, I think, in churches um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, you just kind of make the decision and then you keep going, you know? And so um, I think, again, that's another thing that has really just given me a passion of what does it look like to walk women through getting to know Jesus and getting to know his word and how to study and those kind of things. So that's great. I love it. And what a good reminder too. And for all of us that are listening today, if you are finding yourself pulling away from your church, your local church, and you've maybe you're new to an area and you've just never taken the time to really get that um, search for a church uh, really nailed down. And maybe you're just kind of floating. We just wanted to hopefully be a voice in your life today, listeners saying, yes, we need 
we need our local church. We all need each other. And the connection that we have with other believers is cannot, we can't get by without it. <laughs> this is the Lord's yes. yeah. yeah. So tell us how you met your husband. <laughs> um, so usually I let him take that question. Um, so since he's not here, I guess I'm kind of on the hook. Um, so I, after graduating high school, like my main goal in life was to play college softball. Um, and so I had signed with the University of Texas at Dallas to play ball. And then after my first semester in the fall, um, I felt like God was calling me to ministry. And so I quit the team, ended up staying at UTD for two more art for another year and a half. I was there two years total. And my pastor at the time was actually um, a professor at Criswell College. He was the dean of preaching, and I thought he was a phenomenal preacher. And so I didn't know at the time what it looked like, especially as a woman um, within an SBC context, like to be surrendered to ministry. I didn't know what that looked like outside of like, okay, I surrendered to missions because of GAs, you know, and so now I need to go to Africa, like really far away. (laughs) I remember um, just chatting with his son. He and I were really close and he said, why don't you apply to Criswell? And I don't know anything about Criswell. Uh, I don't know like what what that would look like, you know, because it's mainly guys. It's a Bible school. Um, and so he said, no, you need to come. I think it's exactly what, you know, um, would be good for you just to learn the scriptures, that kind of thing. And so, um, I applied and came in as a transfer student to Criswell college. And so I was really excited. Again, I had come from a really small SBC church and then at UT Dallas, there were hardly any, um, evangelical, like student organizations at all. And so I was really longing for that biblical community and just other people with like-mindedness, you know, to kind of walk life with. And so I go into Criswell telling Jesus two things. I said, I will not be a pastor's wife. Like I'm not marrying any of these people. So (laughs) don't even think about it. And two, (laughs) um, well, now that I think of it, I don't know what the second one was, but like, I remember telling him, oh, I was like, I really need good friendships, you know, like just that Christian community of just belonging, you know, all of those things. And so I'm sitting in student orientation and I'm with freshmen, you know, there's a couple other transfer students. It's a really tiny school. And, um, and so the student service team gets up and they're kind of walking everybody through orientation And there's a girl that gets up there and she's like, my name's Melissa. I would love to get to know all of you women, you know, like we'd love to hang out. And so I'm like, okay, Jesus, there's my, you know, first answer prayer. Thank you. And then um, the second guy gets up, who is Josh, who is now my husband. He gets up after her and the first words out of his mouth were, I would love to get to know all of you girls too. And my initial thought was, I want nothing to do with you. (laughs) You are so cocky, you know, like just, I don't know. Um, And I think again, going in and just telling God, like, I don't want anything to do with these guys. Um, Mm -hmm. But my first impression, we joke, I was like, I want to never talk to you. You know, like, I don't want anything to do with you. And long story short, Josh's best friend um, was also a student at Criswell, and he was not going into ministry. So he was a new believer, and his pastor had told him about Criswell and just said, this would be a great place just to disciple you, for you to learn, you know, get a degree, that kind of thing. And so he and I 
had kind of started talking and dating. And through that relationship, I started to get to know Josh. And um, he did full-time student ministry at the time. I was doing girls ministry. And um, honestly, that's really where a lot of the conversation started. And we would kind of throw around ideas of what we were doing with our students and that kind of thing. And um, there was an afternoon one Sunday where um, we were kind of hanging around waiting for church and just swapping stories of ministry and what God had taught us. And he started sharing a story of how he ended up having to tell two of the girls in his student ministry that their grandfather had passed away while they were at camp. And mm-hmm. he is telling this story to me and he's got tears in his eyes. He's just so sad, you know, even recounting the story of having to tell these two girls um, that their grandfather had passed away. And I remember in that moment, I told Jesus, I was like, no, I'm not doing this, you know, (laughs) but I love his heart for people and for leading them and loving them even in the midst of hard. And so that's kind of the beginning, I think, of just where I clearly saw the Lord um, shifting my heart and even my ultimatum that I gave him in the beginning. <laughs> and now looking back, like we make such a great team. And so um, I think a lot of my ultimatum was just based in fear. And I was scared that if I married a pastor, then I wouldn't get to fulfill my own calling. And just a lot of a lot of fear that now I just get to see how perfectly knit God was putting our stories together to get to minister together. And it's so, so fun. So um, I have to take it back. I'm so glad he talked to me, <laughs> despite my um, not wanting to talk to him. <laughs> so funny. And I think there's some humor, too, in your ultimatum of, okay, Jesus, I'm never going to be a pastor's wife. And then, well, actually, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of funny whenever we tell God, no, I'm not going to do that. That's often the thing he's like, um, yeah, yar. <laughs> right. Right. And usually at least this is what I found in my own heart. Like it's not that it's not a good thing. You know, it's just that we're scared of it. Like we think that we're not going to measure up or we think that we can't, you know, or it's going to be too hard. Um, right. and, and that is exactly where Jesus steps in and he's like, you're right. You can't, but with me, you absolutely can. So that's so good. So true. <laughs> Well, we have in our theme of our podcast, we talk a lot about how in God, he holds us all together. Colossians 1.17, he holds all things together. Mm-hmm. And through him, we can trust that he's got our futures. And so whether we're in a time of holding on by a thread or whether it's a time of security, whatever's going on, we can trust in him. And so one of the things that I was hoping you would tell us about today is a time that you would tell us about afraid not in your own life that God walked you through and how he showed himself so faithful to you through that. Yeah. I love how this is your theme. Um, and I love even just the imagery whenever you're thinking of a knot and it's spraying, like it's ripped and there's pain, you know? Um, and so as I was really starting to think back on, okay, what are some big ones, you know, and I feel honestly, like there have been a lot. Um, (laughs) um, But when I was praying and just thinking through like, what at least recently has been the most like life altering, and I love to use the terminology of wrestle with the Lord, I resonate Mm -hmm. a lot with Jacob, I think. And 
it made me think of our adoption journey. Um, so when Josh and I were dating, we had talked about how um, we really wanted to adopt. And um, I don't know my biological father. My stepdad adopted me. And so there's just been a beautiful thread um, of God's goodness and faithfulness, even early on of just how he has been leading and protecting me. And so I knew whenever I got married that that was something that I wanted to do. And so as Josh and I began our relationship, and then even as we got married, um, it was really important to us. And honestly, we had planned on that being um, the first way that we were going to kind of have kids is to adopt. And then we would possibly later on try to have biological children. And just because of time and circumstances, um, we ended up getting pregnant and um, had two boys. And so we... um, had planned on doing CPS and just doing a local uh, adoption through the state agency in Texas. And we were ministering in um, a pretty affluent area in the DFW Metroplex and lots of money, lots of name brands and those kind of things. And the Lord just really started convicting us of what it meant to be wealthy. And I think even at that time, there was no part in us that felt like we had a lot of money. Um, We had two small kids, a baby and a toddler, and he was doing um, associate ministry and as an associate pastor. And I remember just the Lord saying, trust me, like you can do this with me. Um, Don't be scared of money, you know, those kind of things. And so we started looking at international adoption and one evening we were talking about it and we got online and we Googled the poorest countries in the world. And on Wikipedia, there were these three lists and on the bottom of all three lists was the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so we just kind of looked at each other and we said, that's where we want to go. We want to go to the darkest, the poorest, the, you know, the place that people need light And so the next day I got on the computer, looked it up, found an agency and um, got connected with them and started with them. And um, about eight months into the process, families started coming home and uh, it started coming out that there were a lot of just unethical things that were kind of happening within that agency. And so that was kind of our first little bit of a pull or a tug on um, our thread, you know, the fray, Um, because we were kind of met with this, we can't continue on, even though we already have so much money invested in this, um, knowing that it's unethical. And so we stepped out of that um, agency and our line in that agency. I think we were number four um, to be (laughs) matched. Um, And so we stepped away from that, just trusting that the Lord was going to provide for us. We contacted the U.S. Embassy there in the DRC and asked them who's doing ethical adoptions. They gave us the name of another agency and we got matched with them. And so Again, our timeline just started over um, because we were starting with a new agency, new set of paperwork, new dossier, et cetera. And so about a year after that, so we waited for another year um, to be matched. And we got matched with a little guy that we were going to name Jude. And he had the fattest cheeks, oh my goodness, and the deepest, darkest brown skin. Um, He was beautiful. And there were only two pictures with his referral. 
And so, of course, we get that email and we're so excited. The boys are a little bit older and they're actually kind of understanding what we're doing and they're excited. And every month we would pack these, um, you know, care packages to send over to him. And we'd put pictures of us and clothes and all of that. And um, so in their process, and I'm trying not to get into like a bunch of adoption terminology, um, but in their process, you like fully adopt them in their country. And then after that, they go to what's considered a halfway house. And then you start the U.S. paperwork. And so doing the adoption in that country in the DRC was about six months. And so we completed that. He became a king. We threw a party um, and the boys helped me make a cake and we um, put his name on it, you know, and celebrated here in the States. And then how old was he at this time? So he, oh goodness, um, was probably a little over one because when we got his Mm -hmm. referral, he was younger. Um, So maybe one and a half, I guess, by this point. And, um, and so that day he was supposed to be, it was a Wednesday. I remember, um, he was supposed to be moved to the halfway house, which is for our agency. And we kept waiting like all day just for confirmation that he had made it. We hadn't heard anything. And then, um, Josh ended up getting a call, um, that evening, like right before church and he ended up coming home and well, he called, I remember and said, don't come to church. I'm coming home. And I knew something was wrong, obviously. And, um, and so he came home and he had tears in his eyes and he said, Jude was taken. And I said, what do you mean he was taken? And long story short, um, his uncle um, had taken him from the halfway house and his mother as well um, and had taken them away and wouldn't give him back. Um, there was a lot of, um, as you know, like child trafficking and just those kind of things. And so he did not want you to leave. And, um, and so it kind of just started this three-month process of, you know, legally he was ours in country, but we weren't far enough along in the U.S. Um, for them to step in and do anything. And um, even though the uncle had no rights, the mom wanted him to be adopted. Um, he was the product of rape. And so um, she wanted nothing to do with him. And yet we were not able to do anything to get him back. And so I remember um, there was a song that was really popular at the time that was the, um, your love never fails, it never gives up. I'm not a singer, but you know that song? Yes. Um, and I remember, you know, previous to all of that happening, just singing that as almost my anthem, right? Like, um, like, this is hard. This has already been a journey that has been so much longer than what we expected, so much more expensive than we had ever expected, you know, but like, I am not giving up on my boy, you know, like we are coming to you. And then I remember after he was taken and just the brokenness and the darkness that we were actually experiencing. You know, I think at the beginning, we were almost kind of ignorant of like, we want to go there because that's the worst. And then we truly walked through the worst of that country, you know, and just the injustices and the darkness and the trafficking and just all of the things that came out from Jude's story and the rape and um, just all of the, the hard and the dark. And after three months, we ended up making the decision because the uncle was getting 
pretty violent and there were other kids in the program in that same village. And so our agency and us just decided the safest thing for Jude and his mom, as well as the rest of the kids is to relinquish our rights and overturn his adoption. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting the paperwork from our agency to like cross out King, you know, to like relinquish him back to being almost nameless, you know, like, and, um, and for King to be removed from his paperwork and just going through all of the signatures, just being so angry with God, you know? Um, and I think we do this, right? Like when, it doesn't pan out the way that we think it's going to look or when it's hard or when there's deep grief and hurt, like we really start to wrestle and question God. Yeah. And um, there was no doubt in our mind that God called us to adopt. There was no doubt in our mind that he wanted us to go to Africa, you know? And so I think as things begin to unravel and to, to pull, it really makes you dig deep into what you believe about him. And so I remember just asking him as I'm filling out this paperwork, like, what are you doing? Like, why did you give up? And why, if we have fought so hard to get him home, why are you not letting him come home? And why are you letting him stay in a country and in a family where he's not safe, you know, and just all of these whys and how could you, you know, and all of those things. And it was such a dark and like almost a um, a feeling of just being betrayed, you know, like you were so close and then now um, it's all gone, you know. Um, and so it was a hard couple months after that of even just trying to figure out like, do we continue going on? You know, is this just, is this what God has for us? You know, and like, let's try to figure out what these lessons are. (laughs) Um, Well, I'm thinking even as a mother having that loss and then you're having to walk your children through that too. Right. A lot to carry. Yes. And every night the boys were so cute. Um, They uh, would pray for him every night, you know, like, dear Jesus, please help baby Jude come home soon, you know? And, um, and I think even watching them in the confusion, although they were still pretty small, um, of just, well, what do you mean he's not coming home, you know, and how to explain Mm -hmm. that to a four-year-old and a three-year-old, um, where we've already set up his room and his nursery and his toys, you know, and all of those things. And so it was just a hard thing to walk through on top of you're still leading a church, you know, and you're still leading ministries. And I'm still having to teach Bible study on Wednesday and Sundays, you know, like talking about how good God is all the while thinking like, I want to believe this, but this is so hard to know truly right now, you know, and that's why I love the wrestle, the whole, um, I believe help my unbelief. Right. Right. Um, and so there were definitely just a lot of, um, nights where I was telling God how I felt disappointed and how I was scared for Jude, you know, that it wasn't even a death, but it was a, like, what's going to happen to him now, you know? And I think after several months of just being in my Bible and journaling, um, one of the things that he so graciously whispered to me was, Jackie, you are not me. 
you know, and I don't know about y'all. I'm sure y'all never do this, but I feel like I'm a pretty good Holy Spirit. And, you know, (laughs) that I, in my own strength, can, you know, tackle the world. And that's my person. Like, I just, I love going and helping and doing, you know, and all of those things. And so he had to remind me over and over again, like, no, you don't have any control of what will happen to Jude. You have no control over what happens in the DR Congo, you know, or what the future of your family looks like, but I am absolutely in control. And so, although you're not able to chase after him completely, I still am. And even to this day, um, there's just so much comfort. And I think even, um, pleading with him of when Jude comes to mind, you know, whether it's a time hop on my Facebook or um, he just randomly comes to mind because of his beautiful big cheeks and smile. And I just think of that ache and that hurt that somehow comes up. I just have to tell God, God, I know you have him. I know you know where he is right now, you know, and that he's seven, eight and playing, you know, somewhere like, you know, that I don't know, and I have to trust you in that. And so I think, um, a lot of people, you know, hit seasons like that to where, you know, that God called you to something, you know, that God has brought you to the place that you're at. And then I think just to feel like it is completely ripped out from underneath you And then that really is where your theology and where your belief of who God is and his character and his goodness and his faithfulness is really formed, I think, in those wrestles and in those knots and frays as you feel the tension. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what happened after that? Yeah. So we, um, long story short, we thought because Jude was um, the product of rape and we kind of wanted to honor his mother. Um, And so we had always wanted a little boy and then we decided, why don't we get a little girl um, just with different things that we had learned about Jude's mom's story and wanting to honor her. And so we accepted a referral of a little girl and right after we got done with her paperwork, the government there had really started just kind of making some weird shifts within the program. And the only way that I can explain it is that it was the Holy Spirit just giving a leading, like a feeling of you need to get out. And Mm -hmm. I remember praying that afternoon and then calling our caseworker and just saying, Stephanie, I don't know what this is, but I just have a really uneasy, like very, like I'm not super peaceful about moving forward with this adoption And I just think something isn't right. And so would y'all consider letting us move to another program? And at this point, it was completely in their hands. We knew the director because of everything that had gone on with Jude. And so they talked. And a couple weeks later, they said, we would be happy to move you to the Ethiopia program. And so we um, moved our paperwork over to that program, started our new dossier. We did so much paperwork in this four and a half, five years of our adoption. It was crazy. Um, But we moved over. And the day that we finished our Ethiopia dossier, the DRC shut down. And um, I don't know if you know about the Stuck documentary series. Um, They did a couple different things, but the DRC government essentially wasn't letting adopted kids out of the country. And even though they were legally adopted, they were completely um, 
you know, like done, they wouldn't let him out. And so it ended up being just this huge upheaval within the adoption community and for those families and just so much hurt. And so we had gotten out of that program right as the government made those decisions. And so as we were looking back, you know, and even now sitting here um, several years removed, it was such a grace and like a big moment of God kind of rebirthing that I have you, you know, that you're not on this alone. And I think even just the skepticism of trying to take the little girl referral and moving forward and then to see just in the spirit and just moving and prompting that he was protecting us from another giant significant loss. Mm-hmm. And so we moved um, to the Ethiopia program and we had one of the craziest, fastest um, referral and um, end like bringing him home. <laughs> um, I think start to finish, it was 10 months. Um, we had no issues with paperwork. Like, I mean, the entire way we were getting emails of just like, okay, it's probably going to be, you know, four or five weeks before we get this. And then we'd get it back the next week. And we're like, wait a second, you know, like I thought we were supposed to be waiting at least a month for this. And so just watching God's hand move in our adoption of who our son is now that is home, um, Amos, um, it was almost such a contrast to what we did in the DRC. And so just watching him literally, I mean, there were so many times where I would tell Josh, like, this literally feels like he's parting seas, you know, like this is not normal. This isn't how (laughs) international adoption, (laughs) you know? And, um, and so it was so cool. I think just to see him saying, over and over and over again, like, I have you, like, I am doing great and mighty things that are not even expected or heard of, you know, and I'm fighting for you and I am bringing you um, your little boy. And so it was such a, I think, rebuilding of my faith. I think it was a season to where I just fell more in love with actually trusting him, you know, that it's not the way that I perceive things, but that all along the way and the good and in the bad that he is absolutely walking us through to where we get to not only bring a little boy home to his room, but more than that, like we learned so much about God's fight for us, you know, and his pursuit of us and his chasing after us, despite all that is against us. Right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think, you know, that new season and how I saw God work and how I see him in my sons. Um, it's just such a beautiful picture of like, he is absolutely working on our behalf, even when we don't see it, even in our darkest, most like wrestle of, we don't know that he is who he says he is, you know, and we're throwing some pretty hard accusations at him. He comes out of it in the end saying, I am that and so much more. Right. Absolutely. It almost sounds even like a Job thing of kind of, I'm going to take this, but I'm going to give you this because I need to make sure that you trust me when I take this. But then when you do, I'm going to give you something more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even the, the losses that we experienced with Jude, 
Um, like I think one of the key verses, we even got like a plaque from Hobby Lobby because they had a art piece of art for it. And we hung it above our kitchen table because we would be there every day, you know, multiple times a day. And it was the, um, the Lord is going to fight for you. You need only to be still. And, um, and there were so many lessons going through Exodus of just that it felt like a wilderness, you know, it felt like just death in a lot of ways, but then, in the wilderness, you learn so much about who you are or, and like really who you're not and then who God is and his faithfulness and the pillar and how he guides and how he leads and how he provides and manna and on the good days and the not good days. And then how all of that preps you into walking in freedom to the promised land that he, he uses those moments of the wilderness to teach you to abide, to depend, to mm-hmm. seek him so that when you do move forward into the next season, um, it's just so much sweeter. That's so beautiful. What are some of the sweetest things that you've learned about God's love through the process of being an adoptive parent and how he has adopted us? What are some of those things that have just become so tender to your heart and um, as, as you now can look back over the whole story? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I would say how much he chases rebel hearts. <laughs> um, you know, Amos, I love Amos. He is a firecracker. I mean, he is always talking, always moving. He is so stinking sharp. Um, and like the way he runs is beautiful. Like I joke about how he just... He is this all around gifted, beautiful kid. Um, But, you know, there is a part of him that is really hard and he's very strong willed. He's very, (laughs) you know, like he, he doesn't care what you say sometimes and he'll do whatever he wants to do, you know? And so I think, you know, the, the journey to bring him home was definitely sanctifying, but then the parenting is absolutely sanctifying in a whole different way. And I think over and over again, God reminds me that like he is after the rebel, like he is after us, even when we choose to think that we know better than him, that um, we don't have to obey. We don't have to do what he says, you know, like we don't have to um, consider the truth that he gives and how a lot of times that gets us in trouble. And I think with Amos, there's just so much of this repeated, like, but why over and over again, you know, are you not listening or, you know, whatever. And just the, the patience and the perseverance that goes with that love is such a reflection of my own heart and God, you know, and there's so many times to where I'll be getting onto Amos I'm like, why are we doing this again? Why are we having this conversation again? And almost every single time, it's like the Holy Spirit is like, Jackie, why have we had to have the same conversation over and over again? You know, and you're you're 37 years into this. And so um, there's just so much, I think, with his patience and his pursuit of really hard hearts, you know, of like, but then also just the beauty that, he made him so distinctly. Like there is no doubt in my mind that Amos is going to do amazing things, you know, um, and that he is going to do it with all of his heart. And just, I'm just so excited to see how God uses him when he does, you know, like submit and live for God. And so 
there's so much that even in the strong willedness, you know, like even though sometimes it's hard and sanctifying to parent, those are the very people I think that get to go and take out the name of Jesus in really cool, creative ways. So, um, it's a, it's a daily thing, you know, it kind of depends on what day you catch me on. And <laughs> morning was a kind of a rough one with him <laughs> so before school. Oh, we did it. Yeah. Um, that's just momming. Right. But, um, for sure how much God is chasing after us, even in our rebellion, like even in our, um, in our pride and our arrogance and the way that we think that we've got it all down, you know, um, and we just go and do it on our own. And he's just waiting patiently, just kind of like, all right, well, when that fails, I'll be here to pick you up, you know? Um, and so I think probably that is a big challenge as well. And just that he's not this dad that is waiting to rebuke, you know, or say, I told you so. Um, but that he graciously for the long haul, you know, I think that's why the word talks so much about steadfastness and patience and long suffering, you know, being a fruit of the spirit. Like that is exactly what he does with us each and every day. Mm. So how long ago was that, that you were able to bring him home? Oh goodness. So February is actually going to be six years, I believe. So, um, yeah. So, um, he has been with us for a while and I mean, if this podcast could go for like two and a half, three hours, you know, like I could tell you just all of the stories of how he came home and was so malnourished, you know, and had never eaten real food and how he couldn't walk. And he just sat in a box. I mean, there's just so many stories that God has worked in his life and worked in our life. And again, just speaking to his faithfulness and just how he showed us all along the way, like in the losses and in the victories, I have you. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, <laughs> That's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we needed that today. We need that. Yeah. Today. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Yes. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I appreciate it so much. And I hope it encourages, I know so many people in this season are just struggling with so many different things. And, um, and so I hope it's just a bright light to remind you that you've got a God chasing after you. So, um, let him catch you. (laughs) Even with your rebel heart. Even with your rebel heart. Yes. Ah. And we would, we would actually love to get some uh, great ideas from you before we end our conversation today of just Bible studies or great um, resources or podcasts that you would like our listeners to know about. Or if there's a specific thing, since you did share about your adoption journey, if there's a great source for um, adoption support, anything that you want to give us as resource list, we can include in our show notes. Oh, goodness. Um, Let's see. Adoption wise, I would love to point them to an organization based out of Nashville called Show Hope. Um, They have amazing resources as well as grants. And so I hope that, um, especially those of you that are listening that have maybe been considering adoption and after hearing my story, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never doing that. Um, I pray (laughs) 
that you um, hear the goodness in it, that yes, it is hard. And I will often say, and I try to be really honest, um, it is probably one of the hardest things you will ever do. And you will completely be a different person for the better afterwards. And so um, just if it's been on your heart or something that you want to consider, I can't encourage you enough just to shoot that email or to give them a call and just say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. And just watch God open doors and affirm in that way. Um, as far as studies and stuff, goodness. So I have a huge list of books that I want to read whenever I'm done with seminary reading. Um, there is a book called Gentle and Lowly that um, I have read really good things about that I am putting on my Christmas list. And so I would encourage you to put that on there. Um, and then another book that I really love that actually um, Robin, I referenced whenever we were at that retreat together called okay. The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. Mm-hmm. And he is a Christian psychiatrist. And so um, I love how he brings about the word and how he kind of couples um, just our struggles and how shame even from the garden, really like infiltrates so much of our relationships and our struggles and that God is working to redeem all of those things to bring about freedom. And so it's kind of nerdy, like it gets all into like the neurological stuff, um, which I kind of like, some kind of a nerd. Um, But then it also very much just um, is a great practical tool just for what it looks like for the gospel to meet people in their stories and in their heart. And so um, those are probably two books, one that I want to read and one that um, I'm almost done with that I would recommend. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time and your vulnerability with us and letting God use your story to take it. Who knows how far and wide it will go. So thank you so much, Jackie. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Isn't she so, she's so, so wise and had such great words of wisdom for us. I loved the conversation. It was great. <laughs> it was awesome. I particularly loved that um, he chases rebel hearts. We all have rebel hearts and I love that he chases after us anyway. And I love the idea of the Lord is going to fight for you. You only need to be still. It's not our fight. And also a thought I loved today was the manna in the wilderness. And Jackie talked about the comparison of how the Holy Spirit day by day gives us what we need. And we don't see how we're gonna make it to the promised land. We can't see the big picture, but just that daily um, the provision He gives us is what sustains us. And we can look back over our shoulder at the end and see, oh my goodness, He had such a beautiful plan all along. It truly is amazing. For those of you who loved Jackie and are interested to hear more of her, we're going to link information about her podcast in the show notes. It's called At the Table, and it's actually with our Southern Baptist Convention, the women of our Southern Baptist Convention. So she is pretty amazing and just such a great lady to learn from and listen to. So we hope that you loved our conversation with her today. We'll also put also put the adoption agency that she referenced in the show notes if you're interested in praying through and looking that up too. Make sure you remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and we appreciate you listening to us. And everybody have a great two weeks, and we'll see you back next time. Bye. Bye.